Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello and welcome to the show. Now, today we are all about privileged users. Now, I'll let you into a secret. I'm not recording from my usual office right now, but instead from a hotel room. And last night, I did that thing that nobody wants to happen. I locked myself out of the room. Schoolboy error, putting my room service tray in the corridor and slam. Anyway, walk of shame down to reception, asked to be let back in. And then I was uh, escorted back upstairs by a member of staff armed with what I presume was a master key, all very embarrassing, of course, but that master key and the privileged access it gave that member of staff did strike me as a really convenient analogy for today's show. So joining me with the master key to unlock our topic today is Meta Compliance CEO and author of Cybersecurity Awareness for Dummies, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Hi, Dave. Well, today's topic is all about privileged users, and why they're so important to our cybersecurity. They're basically the VIPs of our tech team because they hold all the valuable information and credentials that hackers are after. It's like having the key to a treasure chest. And here's the thing, we need to make sure that privileged users are aligned with the right procedures and behaviors, and we can't afford to have any weak links with the cybersecurity chain, particularly not at that apex level. Mm. But I think there's some particular challenges around privileged users. And I'm looking forward to getting into that today with yourself and Joe. Indeed. Well, you mentioned VIPs there. So let's introduce our very important person, our special guest for today, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Delinea, Joe Carson. Hello, Joe. Nice to have you on the show. How's it going? Oh, it's fantastic. Thank you. And David and, and Rob, it's great to be here with you today. And I'm really excited about today's conversation. So, I mean, for me, it's all about privileges. That's that's my background. That's what I, I focus on. I do a lot of in-depth research into understanding about what, what is privilege in organizations. Because for many organizations, their businesses are always very different. And in, in, it's not like, you know, the same for every organization. It's really important for organizations to understand what does privilege mean for them. And many sometimes assume that it is the member of staff, you know, that it's a person, it's a role. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. It's it's usually that it's the it can be a machine identity, it can be application, it be, can be code. So organizations really need to make sure that they understand what privilege is, especially when your metaphor, I mean, I've had very similar cases from the hotel, and I think that's always a great example to use. And ultimately, that's what attackers are looking to do, is that they're trying to get that person with privilege trying to become that that member of staff, trying to clone their credentials, trying to clone that hotel card, and ultimately yeah. become that member of staff and gain access to what they have, which is typically everything. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's, yeah. it's, it's the entire hotel. It's every room and every floor and every elevator. So we have to make sure that we protect them with very, very good controls and very good visibility. Well, we are privileged to have you on the show. And before we dive in, Joe, I, I just have to, I have to name, you've got a a sort of a similar accent to <laughs> sort of a similar accent to Robbie, but 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 not quite. What what's the story there? Where, where are you from, and where where are you based now? 
So I'm actually, so I'm based in Tallinn, Estonia. That's where I've been oh, here for okay. quite a long time. So I've, I've spent a good large portion of my career in, in, in Estonia. Um, though um, the accent sometimes, it, it is very similar, but sometimes hard to pinpoint. Uh, but I'm originally from Belfast. And sometimes people ask me, is what makes me, you know, really good skilled in cybersecurity. And I think it's because, you know, when you talk about, you know, we don't trust anybody, to be honest. <laughs> so so sometimes being very diligent and, you know, very suspicious and everything, that's what kind of, you know, you know it's more my background and, and skill set comes from, is just being very vigilant into everything, not trusting anything. <laughs> Let's talk about that vigilance and that, well, maybe paranoia uh, as we dive in today. Uh, now, Back in the day, you know, we're talking about that master key. Back in the day when I was a sysadmin, all of the Unix systems that I worked on in the data center, they all had the same root password. And all of the Windows systems, they all had the same, well, administrator password. Actually, it was one password for production, one password for pre-production. But that was just how it was. It was, I don't know, it was, it was how we got stuff done back in the day. And those root and admin passwords, they were a secret. It's just one that everybody knew. You know, we were all privileged users. We all had the master keys and we really didn't think anything of it. Time has moved on. However, uh, and the context in which IT systems uh, operates changed, the threats they face from outside and from within has evolved. So, Robbie, maybe you can kick us off by filling in the gaps a couple of decades, maybe, and tell me about the problems that that, that flat model of privileged user security, the master key, which hopefully nobody still uses, um, and what access control models that organizations probably should be employing today if they aren't already. So I think if we look at, um, I, I frequently use the process industry as, as, as a way of constructing models to deal with how we should address cybersecurity problems. So they have this concept of a brownfield site, old legacy, you know, could be their 30 years uh, mm. refinery and a greenfield site, brand new manufacturing plant to recycle uh, plastics or something like that. Well, if you're talking about a greenfield site, you're highly likely to get something that is best in class, best practice. You're likely to implement the latest thinking. The problem with a brownfield site, the problem with existing legacy stuff is the time is against you and you rarely have perfect systems. You then have groups of people that are responsible for different systems. And these systems could be, you know, they're, they're, they're not very um, front and center to the overall organization, but they're buried deep inside. And I doubt it that you would have, you know, default passwords in them. But I've seen uh, many situations where the person who was the admin for the Oracle database that was crucial for one part of the overall environment has left. Nobody knows the password anymore. Mm -hmm. and the person has gone beyond or wherever, and nobody wants to change that system because, well, you know, you're just going to open a can of worms. So I think that's the that's the dichotomy. You, you have change in an environment is difficult for any large IT environment and the layers of security that should be there and should go on, on, on top of it. And then you have to talk to the people element, not just the, the infrastructure element. And privileged users are a critical group of individuals within any organization, but they are a challenging group of individuals to 
to manage from a procedural or from a policy perspective. And and if you have a, a geographically diverse, then you have different cultures. So all those things, if you add them up, means that it's a pretty thorny issue. And I think the ideal is to have it automated. The ideal is to approach it where you control who has access to what for how long. And it it, it really is something that, that takes a lot of effort and a lot of buy-in from senior people to make sure that it, it, it stays consistent for the periods of time that you need. Joe, what's what's your take on this privileged user challenge problem? What What can go wrong and how do criminals try to wheedle their way in to take advantage of this? So just expand a little bit on, on what Rob was saying is I've seen even greenfield sites where you have a you know consultant coming along and doing an implementation mm-hmm. and they implement everything. And during the implementation, they will actually use default credentials or they might use credentials that they have commonly used over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden during the handover or the exchange from that in, from a UAT to production, those credentials are never changed. So I've seen a lot of scenarios where even modern high tech, I've seen scatter control systems with advanced threat protection stickers on them. And when I went in and actually looked at the found the credentials, it was the same credentials I actually found in the training materials that was actually you know oh, wow. used for the training emulation. So you do get into where some of the procedural side of things, even in modern systems that have advanced technology and, and the latest you know available to the organizations, sometimes during those implementations and configurations, they are basically you know they're they're not checked and validated. They simply just once it's working, leave it working and don't change it. Um, and that's going back to to, to Rob, was, Rob was talking about, even the service accounts where, you know, the person's left, you're afraid to change it because you're afraid of breaking something. And this becomes a major challenge. But we also expanded even beyond. It used to be in the past that it used to be focused really around those who are responsible for infrastructure, for managing the environment. Those were the ones that used to have you know, all the privilege and everyone else was a standard mm-hmm. user. But what's happened is over time, users have become almost all users should be considered privileged. Um, they may not all, all have the same type of access. And unfortunately for many organizations, one of the those low-hanging fruits is is the local administrator, right? Because you want to make sure that the employee can, when they are traveling, they can change the time zone in the machine. They can take backups. They can install applications. So sometimes, but that that men- mental th- thought about local, you know, some people think it's limited to the local machine. But what happens is attackers know the easy paths to go from those low-level privilege accounts to high-level privilege accounts. And they do that time and time again. So just the example that you mentioned at the beginning around the hotel. So think about an attacker that they might have access to a low-level account, you know, like, you know, maybe they're in, in one room and they have access and their key only allows them into that room. It allows them to elevators and maybe, you know, some uh, other areas of the hotel, but not everywhere. Hmm. But what they're looking to do is they're looking to find that hotel staff who has the actually key card that has everything. And they try to lure them to actually opening the door that they're in because they slightly change that configuration so that when that staff scans their card to access the room, they're cloning it. And that's what we refer to as, you know, trying to steal or capture the hashes. Um, and a hash is, you know, that, you know, let's say it's the encrypted form of the clear text password. But once they get that hash, they can move around just like that hotel staff. And attackers know those, those techniques and they continuously go and exploit them and abuse them. Ultimately, once they get access to at least one person in the organizations who might be a low level privilege user, 
they basically are able to easily exploit them to get up to full domain. And it's only a matter of time before they're able to do that. And most of the attacks that I've seen, it's almost the same blueprint over and over and over again. Low-level privilege user, right up to domain administrator, and then you end up with something disastrous, like like a business email compromise or, or like a ransomware deployment. Yeah, and, and that was the question I want to ask, because obviously we can see the the journey uh, and the potential journey and the way in there. But what can happen, Robbie, at the end of this, when a uh, a bad actor does have domain admin, whatever it is, what sort of bombs can they detonate there? I mean, it's like they have got the sort of god key to the computer game they they can do whatever they they want i mean mm. i think that's one of the things that has always struck me about this area and, and why i've been fascinated with it where security awareness which is like trying to get your people on board to help you with defense it's it's at a place where it's good enough just to tell everybody don't click the link right we're in actual fact that's the least of your issues that it should be where's my risk profile so c level your finance department and your privileged users and, and and increasingly marketing people because of the number of systems they have and also their control of twitter accounts and stuff like that that can wreck your share price so if it if they it's taken over and and if you triangulate that then privileged users are right at the top they are they're the the gold standard of a successful exploitation in, in 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 a hack. And then they have lots of options and it depends on their motivations, right? So they can take your data. So now they have everything and 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 they can play you like a a cat will play a mouse, right? They can basically destroy things within your environment. Or, you know, they go after the integrity thing where they change stuff where no, you can't trust yeah. anything. So it's it's really a Orwellian nightmare to have someone in in your environment, and if someone has passed through, then the issue becomes how long were they there, and and how long were we this badly uh, affected? And I think that there's a correlation between length of time uh, to detection and the extent of the credentials that 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 they actually compromised, and, and you've seen more and more, particularly medium-sized businesses, they don't recover from this. Um, you know, it's it's that cyber hack puts the business, they're gone. You know, the, the C-level people are all gone. It's sold for as a, in a fire sale as if it was, um, it, it had gone bankrupt um, because you essentially have had your, it's like a, a digital fire almost. That's what's at stake then. And uh, that, that that's the importance of managing this privileged user challenge. Well, so, so, Joe, what kind of things in, in your experience, what kind of approaches do organizations take in order to control privileged user access? Because we do need to have users who have privilege in order to administer these systems. So, so what controls do organizations typically put in place to limit the potential damage that these privileged users or, or their, those credentials uh, are able to cause? Absolutely. One of the, the important part is making sure we move more passwords into the background. 
and we talk about sometimes the passwordless authentication approach or experience. So the less passwords we have to, as humans, create, the less chance there is of, of course, attackers gaining access to them. So that's one of the things is to start off with is moving more passwords into the background by actually using something like a passwordless experience in combined with multi-factor authentication. But one of the key things you should be doing is moving to what we refer to as the principle of least privilege. And that's where you start moving away from having persistent privilege, because that's where the challenge is today, is that when uh, employees and, and those administrators and with high level access are using the one account that has privileges all day long for accessing their emails, for you know logging in and browsing to sites, for installing applications to change configurations in infrastructure and adding users as they're using that uh, you know persistent privilege all day long it provides ample opportunity for the attackers to be able to capture those credentials and this is really where you know the the, the mistakes happen and, and this is where organizations really struggle to recover from those types of attacks what we really need to make sure is moving to that non-persistent or the principle least privilege where the user is has only standard privileges to do their day-to-day -day work but they get elevated on demand in order to get the privileges they need for the time that they actually need to be able to do the task. And therefore, it reduces the possibility of attack vector or that attack dwell time for the attackers to be able to capture those credentials. And then even if they do, what happens is, is that after that actually credential has been used, that, that privilege has been used, you rotate the password immediately after every single use. And that actually reduces the ability that even if they do capture those credentials in that moment, they can't reuse it. They can't actually go and reuse that hash in a pass the hash scenario. They can't reuse that password even though they're able to get the clear text password because their credentials already been rotated. So it really limits their ability to laterally move across the environment. It limits their ability to elevate privileges to higher level accounts. And this is really, mm -hmm. really important to move to that, that zero persistent privilege is what I typically refer to. I totally agree with Joe there, and and again, you know, if you, if you start with your th that group of people that have access to admin accounts at the moment, but I think one of the challenges that I have found uh, from a management perspective of, of, of privileged users is that there's almost a psychology of trust, a psychology of power that if I have mm -hmm. the keys to this particular system, then a it's convenience, very, very convenient that I can get in and out because I know the passwords, but also I might need it for my job and therefore I should be trusted. And I think that's the big challenge is to move away from this sort of inner circle of people who have all the keys to a concept where having the keys is bad, having default passwords and, and, and having these types of control is a responsibility that you really don't want. And that's an education that is in its infancy in, in, a, in a lot of organizations because it has to come from, I think, senior leadership. And that involves telling a, an unpalatable truth to technical people who are very scarce, who are sensitive to losing their domains of power. And, and so it has to be done delicately. And, uh, but I think that's the key to, to actually embracing a, a, an automated approach, which is the ideal best practice, in my opinion. Absolutely. Just to add to that as well, is that there's always that case of you know, people feel that you're taking away privileges from them, yeah. but you're not. You're just changing how they actually elevate their privileges. You're changing the process of how that privilege is actually obtained. 
Um, so it's really important to make sure that there there were that the privilege has not been taken away. It's just that there's more uh, transparency, more auditability, more additional controls in place to verify that it's actually their credentials has not been abused by someone else. And it comes down to accountability to to Rob, as you mentioned. It's all about making sure there's accountability in place. And I remember years ago when I was a data center administrator that I was one of those people. I was, if you want to take my privilege away, I was going to have a you know massive yes. argument. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it got to the point where when I realized, when I became more knowledgeable about security, because at the time I was a sysadmin and I was seen as the person who could fix everybody and, and doing it at speed. And I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed being able to fix things. Um, but when I started to understand the security implica- implications of that, it was a change in my mindset when I became more understanding about the security threats and risks. And I think that's the moment is what, you know, it, one is it's important to get the awareness in and that, that people are aware of what can happen if their credentials are abused and how easy it can happen. And that the accountability that they were, the responsibility that they have for that, um, that they can still do it, but in a safe way. And they're still, they're not taking privilege away, but you're actually just enhancing the way that they can use them. Um, and it's really important. It's communication so key here in order to get buy-in and adoption. And I think it's the, it's that buy-in is it, that buy-in is so difficult uh, because, as you say, it's like the hero mode where the the technical guy can come in and solve everything. And one of those is being able to pull those default passwords from the back of mind and <laughs> and solve system problems, which is something that in essence you are taking away from those those technical leads. But I, I think it's building a brand new cultural attitude, which is who would want to have those those keys? Because if something goes wrong, your you know your your personal reputation is damaged. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it is very much a cultural change, and you know, as I was saying, similar story going back twenty years ago. But we've hopefully the industry and everyone involved in it has been on a journey to understand the challenges that that persistent privilege poses. Just a couple of terms that have been thrown around here, and I'm wondering if we can clear them up. Uh, Least privilege, Joe, obviously you mentioned that, and we've spoken about trust. Another term that sometimes get uh, I hear it in the same conversation is, is zero trust. So could you tell me about the connection, the similarities or the differences between what we're talking about here with least privilege and zero trust, Joe? Absolutely. Great question. So kind of fundamentals from a principle of least privilege is really where you basically start with the lowest level of privilege and then your privilege is elevated or enhanced when you need to do specific tasks or specific actions. You get elevated on demand. So that's really making sure that your user account or the privilege that the, the account that you're using is not privileged all the time. So it's moving from persistent to the principle of least privilege, meaning you just have enough privilege to do the job and no more. So that's what the fundamentals are of the principle of least privilege. Now, zero trust. Zero trust has been something that's been kind of thrown around as kind of sometimes the magic kind of you know uh, strategy or, or technology. Um, but we have to understand about what zero trust really means. And it's it's uh, fundamentally it's not a technology. It's not something you just simply install and you're done. It's not a checkbox. You can simply just turn it on and you're done. Zero trust is really where we're really moving almost to you know operating our organizations in the public internet, <laughs> um, where you have to assume that everything out there is bad. <laughs> you have to assume that nothing is trustworthy. You have to assume breach. You have to assume that every connection needs to be authenticated and verified. So ultimately, with zero trust, the best term I've ever heard was from one of the senior architects uh, at Yahoo, which was fantastic. His, his term was that zero trust 
is as a mindset and how you wish to operate your business in a secure way. So it's something you're, you're continuously doing it. And it's a combination between technology, process, and people. So it's really important to understand about how you can get zero trust in your organization. And sometimes to start at small things. Start at, you know, as, as Rob was mentioning, you know, really looking at those high-level, really dangerous privilege accounts and applying a zero trust strategy mindset to those accounts. Every time somebody needs to use it, verify they actually request go through and make sure that you're actually adding additional security controls, the auditability. So don't assume that, you know, trust is automatic just because you're on the same network. You want to go through and continuously verify every access, every request. And a lot of those can be done in the background. They don't have to be very much, you know, causing, you know, human, you know, intervention. A lot of those controls can be verified whether it's coming from a known IP address, whether this is something the device that's being accessed is, is known to, to the organization that is coming from the common time of day that that user accesses those systems. So you can put a lot of these controls in the background. And this really gets to the point where I always want, you know, zero trust needs to become zero friction. Uh, because ultimately, today's implementation of a lot of zero trust creates friction, which causes problems of you know getting adoption. We really need to move that a zero friction security approach. Where when you think about putting security controls in place, they have to enhance the experience. They have to improve the user experience where they actually want to use it. It helps them actually be successful in their job. So zero trust is an important strategy. But it's, it's important to make sure that you're focusing on those bite-sized pieces that you can do well and do successfully. It's interesting that assume breach mentality was something that, Robbie, you and I chatted about with Sarah from Microsoft maybe last year or so. And, and do you get a sense, you know, we're, we're talking about a pro an approach here and we've spoken about technology, but it's as much about culture here. Do you get the sense from your customers, your, your the, the people who you speak to in the industry, that people are assuming this assume breach mentality, that people are understanding the importance of least privilege, of zero trust and so on? I think the majority of CISOs that are listening to this understand it all too well. And you tend to find uh, one of the senior leads that I used to have talked about a concept of paranoid by, by design, which I thought was a, was a great way to describe what you need to do. Almost zero trust is like a higher level encapsulation of what the culture needs to be. And least privilege is, is a subset of that. It's, it's one of the things that, that needs to be done. Paranoid by design, zero trust is is sort of one of those statements that actually can drip it to the mindset of an organization. So it, it has a really, really powerful place in sort of the behavioral economics of, of moving your organization slowly in a, a direction. And indeed, if we go back to least privilege, you, you, you tend to have a scenario whereby people know what needs to be done, but actually it requires an educational effort. It, it requires a change management campaign to go, we're on this journey and, and least privilege is going to be across the organization because we move then outside of your privilege users to the next level down, which are, as Joe said earlier, not just senior technical peoples, but it could be marketing people, it could be finance people who have various levels of administrative privilege on specific systems, not everything, but specific systems. That's a, a wonderful opportunity for a hacker to find a way out of this particular administrative bubble that, that they have in through 
a lease privilege that might be there for ages and some people have forgotten about it. And and it really requires a an amnesty almost for people to fess up and go, listen, I, I have these particular privileges. It requires really a consistent, ongoing dialogue with people, particularly managers who Unlike privileged users, they don't see the the power aspect. They see the convenience aspect, convenience in that they don't have to go and ring IT. You open up a ticket, somebody will come along two days later. They want to fix it right there and, and then. And so it's, I think I would completely agree. It's the frictionless way of, of putting that in and having that backed up with a cultural sort of a, a cultural imperative that said, this is, this is what we have to do to exist in this new digitally challenging world. I think we've we've understood what privileged user access is, what can happen if that access isn't privileged, it isn't adequately controlled. But I I guess I before we wrap up, I want to get onto some of the nuts and bolts and the, the next steps that organizations can take to try and rein in that root access. Is it as simple as throwing a layer of IAM software at the problem? Or is there more to it? How would you go about fixing an organization that maybe does have that uh, flatter, more primitive, mm. privileged access control structure in place? Who wants to go first on this one? I, I can I can give it a, a blast. Um so one of the one of the most important things here, so absolutely, many organizations, you know, start thinking about identity access management as kind of one of those things, you know, to bolt on the organization to solve this. Uh, but it's a multiple layers. Uh, the really important part here is to really understand and and go down the separation of duties, just like we would in the physical world. When we talk talk about separation of duties, it means separating the authentication portion and the authorization. Authentication is really about you know proving who you are. To the authorization is about what you can do once you prove who you are, uh, and that's where you know the authorization side applies to that the principle of least privilege, and that's where that kind of comes into that side of it. But it's really important to get into the defense in depth, and this means that yes, identity access management is great, and then you can apply things like single sign-on, which in some terms is more of an ease of use than it is a security control. It allows you to use one password across multiple systems. But it's really important to understand that you need to put additional security controls on top of that layer to verify the authentication request, which means using things like multi-factor authentication. And it's important to understand as well is that not all multi-factor authentication is equal. And we do have a big MFA fatigue where some can be easily abused through phishing and social engineering again. So it's really important to make sure that you understand what types of controls they put in place. Then getting into auditability, so recording those requests and uh, transactions that's happening for authentication or authorization, and then getting into where you do privilege access management. So privilege access management is a little bit step beyond password management. Password management is really where you're giving the employee the responsibility to manage passwords. So you know it's giving them a tool that they can store and create unique passwords, but you're still delegating the accountability and responsibility for the user to make good security decisions. But organizations really need to move beyond password managers and move those into the background. And that's what privilege access management does. This is where you start moving the passwords into the background, and therefore the access requests allow you to do checkout on demand, elevation on demand. All of that becomes automated and interactive, and again, gets to that point where we're reducing that friction to the user, where they just basically can use the solution without having to manage it themselves. So using all of those layers gets you that defense in depth, and it actually almost you know along the way allows you to do that separation of duties, that making sure that if you do have one failure in any part of those, you've got multiple other controls in place to save you, uh, to really reduce the risk. And sometimes it's all about forcing attackers to take more risks 
and when they take more risks, they create more noise. And all of these controls are really effective ways to force the attacker to create that noise. And that gives you that visibility in order to see when the attackers are actually in your organization and try to actually reduce it or stop it before they do something malicious. Yeah. Robbie, what's what's your take on on bringing an organization up to pace? Because there's lots of different approaches to this and lots of, you know, we spoke about culture earlier on, for example, and there's, there's lots of culture shift that's necessary too. I think for me, clearly at a cultural change level, for me, there's two things that uh, I have seen really, really work. The first is frameworks. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of ISO 27001. I remember when I put it in at the beginning of a long, long time ago, it was a tick box exercise and, and it was a torture. And um, if you approach it like that, then it will always be a torture until it clicked and I became a, a an evangelist, so to speak, of it as a baseline. As and, and once you have it as a baseline, then these conversations are so much easier because you know you have teams of people who are responsible for implementing the controls, auditing the controls, and that that constant annual cycle of of being audited. It, it's nearly impossible not to have concepts like you know confidentiality, integrity, and availability talked about all the time. It's nearly impossible not to have concepts like least privilege not talked about all the time and in in an absence of a framework then you're relying on personalities you're relying on how good your your people are and because of the change of people and different challenges that people have that's that's not a good idea so i think either adhering to or going for a certification there will strengthen your posture no doubt about it i think the other thing is relatively simple but really hard to do and that is to become a cheerleader for least privilege i have tried that personally <laughs> my technical people hate listening to it because it's nearly the first thing out of my mouth you know who has access da, 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 da. and it is part of building it into the dna because it is a concept that particularly privileged users they know it they, they you don't have to teach them about it they know absolutely what it is don't want to do it but if you're not going to let go on it, if you're, you know, they know that if there's a failure in that area, they, they have no, way, no place to hide. You can't change this overnight. And you have to have constant initiatives to try and drive out local admins. You need to have constant communications to that next layer down to give up their secret privileges and also to stop them using their influence and authority to get access to to privilege with people that are further down in, in the organization. So that cheerleader concept for me on this specific issue really, really works. And it sort of it involves this the the senior people giving up certain privileges that that they shouldn't have. So when Meta Compliance was a startup, I personally would have had admin access to various things like Twitter accounts and various domains because, I, I, you know, I, there was only, you know, six of us. But there was a point in time where, the, the, you know, as the CEO, you had to have that air gap between privileges and, and your role. That for me was a part and parcel of, of walking the talk. Um, so at the minute, I've, I have no privileges at all other than, you know, a normal user, which is for a for a C level, that's absolutely right because I'm under attack for for a different reason altogether. But I guess it's also a you know 
from the cultural change point of view, it's also about the very simple education piece, is it, as well? Why? Why is this important? What is at stake here? Going back to having that God key and going back to how people who, whether they feel as though they're privileged users or not, why criminals might be targeting them and how they're targeting them and how that can affect the company as a whole. It's still those basic bits of cybersecurity awareness, I guess, that are that are super important. Absolutely. And I think the key is to make it personal for people, either for their role, for their language, to their personal lives. I mean, it is all joined up, right? Because if you're under a spear phishing attack, all those joins are are what are used to exploit um, your weaknesses. Uh, And the more that you can illustrate that to people and the more that they can actually see the dangers of it, over time, you'll see a shift. It isn't something that is. It it, it isn't something that starts uh, very quickly, but it is something that will will happen. And I think the more less friction you have in both the learning and the and the implementation of these things, that also has a, has a big big determination on on how successful you are. So if you if you put forward training that's hard to log into if you put forward awareness that it's it, well it's not really for me it's for a finance department anything anything at all the user will use it will, will have that as an, ex, an, ex, an excuse not to participate um so if you give me you know european portuguese and i'm a brazilian then you know i, I don't understand what that means anything at all is the reason why i'm not going to uh, complete or participate or take seriously what you're saying so the level that we're at at the minute, we need to change the lens and go to another level of concentration on on getting people bought in and getting people to take ownership for their own security behaviours. Gentlemen, we are almost out of time. So just some very quick final wrap-up thoughts on the, on the privileged user threat that we've been talking about today. Joe, I'll throw to you first of all. Uh, final thoughts on today. Absolutely. For for me, it's all about, you know, when you have to use privileges, make sure that you have the right security controls in place to mitigate the risk. First of all, before you even get started, is perform a very good risk assessment of your organization. Know what the risks are. And then make sure that you then, based on those different risks, you prioritize where you're going to implement uh, along the way. Uh, to do this on trying to do it on everything at one go is going to be a, a difficult task. So prioritize it. Do a proper risk assessment, understand what's important parts of your business and align it to business resiliency. That's how you basically make sure one is that it's supporting the business. It's not you're just doing it for you know the sake of security, that it actually has proper business justifications. You're making the business resilient and you're making it actually being able to survive when attacks do happen. So for me, one of the you know pro tips I would have is proper risk assessment, prioritize it and then do it in phases based on those high risks. Pro tips from you for today, Robbie? Pro tips for me is, like Joe says, once you do that risk assessment, you're going to find that there are populations within your overall user base that are riskier than others. Treat them uh, with respect and and give them awareness, give them tools, uh, give them controls that buy them on side, get them to increase your defensiveness rather than continue to fight with the controls and and processes and policies you're trying to put in place. Without people, you're lost. Indeed, indeed. Well, listen, thank you both so much. Uh, Really good chat. Really good chat today. Joan, terrific to have you on the show too. Where can people find out more about what you get up to? 
absolutely. Even though I'm I'm a permanent person person from Belfast, <laughs> I guess the, the accent really came out there. You can easily find me on social media, so definitely on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me easily with uh, just searching for Joseph uh, Carson, and also on Twitter, uh, Joe underscore Carson is my Twitter handle. I do share a lot of my research and knowledge and experience. So if you're looking to to get more insights definitely you know catch me on social media and i also do have my own podcast which is the 401 access tonight podcast so if you're interested in, in hearing me uh blabber on every couple of weeks uh, you can uh, sign up for the podcast plus if you're going to rsa joe's at rsa that's where we first met uh, it's a very educational and entertaining um show if you get a chance to see it Terrific. Uh, and Robbie, is there a is there a privileged user scenario in your Netflix-style cyber awareness miniseries, Cyber Police? You know, like one of the ways we actually used the scripts to illustrate the challenges people have was A, exploitation of privileges, getting through to privileged users, and how people use multi-factor authentication as a new way of, of socially engineering people to do things differently. And for me, we use police forces uh, as a an example that you know how how they were able to use fish spear phishing and how they were able to to hack into the technical people within environments. So it was the key way that we were able to show people the level of threats and and how they were able to participate in in defending the organisation. Well, it's been a real privilege chatting to both of you today, Joe. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. And thank you to Robbie. Thanks, David. Until the next time. Until next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.